0: You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording from the fourth webinar organised as part of Framing Ageing, a clinical, cultural and social dialogue. The webinar consisted of panel six, practice one. The third speaker was Professor Desmond J. Tobin from University College Dublin, who presented on Our Ageing Skin, Can We Ever Feel Comfortable In It? Slash With It.
1: It's a great uh, pleasure to contribute to this particular workshop and also in this particular way uh, as a biomedical researcher, uh, I'd like to provide some of the biological um, context by which we humans kind of frame the perception, at least, of our aging. And um, can you see my my slides? You can. Very good. Um, and then perhaps a li- talk a little bit as to to, to the extent to which this may be hardwired. Uh, by that I mean, you know, driven by by evolutionary selective pressure that would have uh, you know had a big uh, impact in terms of how our genetic uh, um, coding has occurred over this period. I'll try to do most of this, if not all of this, with as little uh, jargon uh, as as possible. Um, keep an eye on this lady here uh, under the Time Magazine banner. She'll appear later on in the presentation um, as, as well. If I can get these slides to move. So um, we humans essentially are a species born under the sun. And in that sense, we, we distinguish ourselves from our, our great primate cousins who essentially were born under the canopy of the jungle really. Um, And this fact alone is perhaps one of the most uh, significant and powerful drivers of what it is to to be human um, as we lost our dense uh, hair and fur and became really the best sweaters of all uh, the mammals uh, as we needed to run for our food in these sun-drenched open plains and and savannas. And as you can see from this uh, wonderful kind of uh, palette of the human family um, here in this particular picture, uh most kind of identified by the diversity in skin and and, and hair and, and also eye color but also you know textures of of, of these uh, tissues as as well this really underpins our different geographic ancestries um and the most kind of marked contribution uh to this uh geographic ancestry is geographic land latitude and by that i mean um where uh humans uh you know, uh, developed in the context of the highest UV dosages, and by that I mean the highest uh, sunlight, uh, particularly uh, out and around um, the the equator. And as human migrations moved away from the equator, um, there was a requirement uh, to uh, adopt a lighter uh, skin pigmentation to maximise sunlight getting into the skin, because that's their best way of making uh, vitamin D, and I'll talk briefly about that as well. Um, in this kind of little scheme here to the right, you can see uh, the impact of uh, incident solar radiation and how it interacts with the skin, and particularly um, the damage of uh, this UVR uh, to our DNA, and leading to obviously the visible signs of changes of, of aging that we see here. And in this particular, quite famous picture now, you, it's a truck driver, uh, where you can see that the the window facing side of his face is significantly aged or extrinsically aged, photo aged, by comparison to the cabin uh, facing side of his face. So the external impact of the environment here has had a dramatic influence in the visual signs of aging and I guess the perception of that individual in terms of their age as well. Um, the other thing to mention here is that we humans are absolutely obsessed with faces, and of course our own faces. Uh, And this is perhaps uh, not surprising for a species that is really uh, intensely socially interactive uh, and the drivers that that's uh, the the, uh, social interaction drivers that that will have brought upon us. Uh, Here are a few examples uh, where um, how we are programmed really to see faces, even when there are no faces, um, but also to see the importance of faces in terms of, of emotional bonding as you can see there in that chimpanzee picture, and also our, our predilection to be mesmerized by, by faces and our perception of someone else's face. Um, unfortunately, of course, we can't help ourselves from, from reacting differently to how we see faces as attractive or not. And um, this is often again, uh, hardwired in terms of our nervous system and other systems. But a fort- unfortunately, of course, this significantly can influence know our decision making and other responses we have to how we look upon um uh, you know the face in particular but but the body also and you can see in this particular picture we have a range of of different presentations here but but we all uh, react very individually um to how we we present how we feel we should present ourselves in terms of the face to meet the faces that we meet um now, obviously, most people would feel complimented if they were uh, told by somebody else that they looked younger uh, for their age than, than older for their age. So there is that fundamental uh, inescapable, um, uh, you know, uh, quality for us all. Uh, and there's a good reason for this. Um, you know, the way we actually uh, the age of how we look, uh, the way we look in terms of our age can give a very strong signal in terms of our health and, and indeed fecundity more on that uh, a little bit later, Um, we often hear that 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 beauty is skin deep. um, But actually, we're also becoming increasingly uh, in tune with what is lying beneath the surface of the face, as we understand that it becomes a proxy for for other changes that are occurring uh, within within our bodies. And in that regard, um, just to uh, show some emerging uh, gerontological a um, uh, data that's coming through in the last year, uh, that revealing that we very much do respond um, visually as a species, uh, both interpreting ourselves, but also interpreting the health of others. And indeed, their mortality and their likely longevity. Um, Merging ep- uh, evidence is suggesting that facial appearance really does reflect these fundamental, sy- body-wide systemic uh, changes, and indeed our risk for developing disease. Uh, in the immediate future. And these cues, the cues that we see mapped out on our our aging faces, our aging bodies, are much stronger than than any cues that would come from hairstyle or from clothing. And you can see in the kind of uh, little um, uh, scheme of pictures there where we have moved the hair and and, and the clothes between the different faces, the the observation of age likely remaining uh, life uh, span and potential for underlying disease Uh, are very finely uh, interpretable from the face and not from those um, other elements of clothes uh, and and hair. Um, Of course, uh, in an earlier conversation with Anne, we're talking about the the other drivers, the societal drivers here, uh, in terms of what we've seen in the last, uh, say, 100 years in the West. And there's an enormous economic push and pull with all of this, um, especially when living in a, media and social media saturated world where there is this kind of almost unending drift toward clonality and groupthink uh, that we see uh, in, in, in particularly in Western societies. But, but in the end of, of the day, there's a buck to be made and, uh, and, and livelihoods, therefore, to be, to be sustained from, from, from those uh, dollars and euros made. Uh, so that's obviously an, an important consideration in all of this. In this next slide, I'm just going to go back a little bit to the to the biology of this again and indicate that um, obviously our face and and aging face is incredible uh, and powerful uh, genetic and social signal. But the skin is our body's largest organ and it sits at the interface between our inner world and this external noxious world. And it's really quite unique in that in, in, in that particular sense. It's an ancient organ. It first appears during our embryogenic journey alongside the brain. And during early life forms on planet Earth, long before you would invest in creating a brain or a a central nervous system or a spine, all of the information had to be both detected and processed through the skin. So the skin is, and, and the brain, have very strong overlapping paradigms. So we can't underestimate it. It's not just a sack holding in all our important organs. It's really one of the defining, interaction sites with the world um, around us. Um, as you can see from, from the picture there on the left, uh, this the, the skin sensor has got multiple antennas for a huge number of interaction events that can happen between the body you know, and the world around us. And the image on the right, without going into great detail, it's just really to say that this is a fractal uh, situation going on here, we have basically a stress axis or hypothalamic pituitary-adrenal axis in the periphery in our skin. That's really um, a mimic of that which we have in the brain and in the spinal column. So uh, we believe indeed that the the skin is a primordial uh, vestigial brain uh, and therefore captures a a lot of of the functionality that we had seen to be exclusively the domain um, of the brain up up until very, very uh, recently. Um, and and the last point there, as you can see down here, is, is basically how, therefore, the stress um, axis can be seen in the skin and how individual uh, people's feelings can be mapped out in the brain and, and their stressful life experiences can be detected, sorry, in the skin. This kind of plays a little bit back to a comment made, I think, by Tara, where she was commenting on that you can't measure something, you can't manage something. So it's possible, for example, to to predict well-being from from the the way people age in terms of their face, and it may be also possible to measure some of these key hormones, circulating hormones, as a marker of well-being and whether an art or music therapy is having a a direct benefit. This is a bit of my own research here, where a few years ago we showed that the skin uh, makes a lot of endorphin, -endorphin. beta-endorphin, and for those of you who haven't done biology in the background, we have some skin sections here, the epidermis, the outer layer of the skin section, and in red, we show beta-endorphin. And these yellow cells are the pigment-producing cells, the melanocytes. And under the influence of the sun, these melanocytes become hyperactive and produce lots of more melanin to protect the skin from this damaging UV. The skin also has a, an opiate, uh, sorry, an opioid receptor, in this case, mu opiate receptor. So the skin is incredibly influenced by both this uh, uh, beta-endorphin synthesis, but also the receptor to respond to it. And indeed, if we throw beta-endorphin on top of melanocytes in the lab, we can get them to make much more melanin, indeed a tanning response, uh, for want of a better word. And uh, subsequent to this particular paper, a group in Harvard has actually shown that you can have mammals addicted to sunlight because of the impact it has on beta-endorphin as a consequence of the stimulation through UV. But of course we have as this as the title says up here, the very much the downside of of sunlight on our skin with age spots on the top with melanoma as seen here, and this clearly addicted uh, a person here who has allowed their skin to change in this very dramatic way through this constant exposure uh, to the sun so there's a very very uh interesting relationship between um the uh, interaction with an aging stimulus like UV and a well-being stimulus like uh, beta-endorphin. Indeed, sunlight is the only WHO, um, uh, the only entity on the WHO carcinogen list that is good for you. All of the other things on the WHO carcinogen list are bad for you, but UV light actually has this Janus-faced interaction. And of course, it's because we evolved under the sun. Now this is really a reflection of where the skin can really start to pick up um, a lot of how you you feel as a person and how you're coping with, with your life and with your life uh, trajectory. And here we see a woman um, who shows a very dramatic change in both texture and color of her, of her hair uh, that coincided with a very, very uh, psychos- psychologically stressful period with the death of her husband during during wartime and it again shows you this brain-skin axis that's incredibly important in terms of how we map our lives through our skin and through particularly our aging or stressed skin. And uh, this paper here is, shows a very nice study where just measuring cortisol level, so-called stress hormone level in the skin, can give you an indication to your likely, you know, familial uh, longevity, your kind of uh, your positive family history of of longevity but also the perception of your age. So if you have high circulating stress levels you're going to show it in your face sooner or rather than later and it will shorten your life sooner or rather than later. And I'm going to finish up now with a couple of um, examples of where this is played out in people that you know. Um, so here I have a picture on the on the right of one of Ireland's talents a- alongside with her mother and I think uh, those who are, of you who are particularly astute will start to see and maybe the first chapter um, being played out here in this young girl's uh, life. But I'm not gonna say anything, but just let you see um, the pictures as we go through. So I think you can see by looking at somebody's face, not only what age that they have uh, more or less, but also their, 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 their psychological status and how they feel in terms of how they feel about themselves and how they may think others feel about them. Um, in the next uh, uh, case, I just want to show you um, another timeline of an individual, uh, single individual, uh, John Travolta, and, and and here you can see uh, the attempt of this individual to reveal, uh, uh, and then in, 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 in his young age, and then to disguise their many uh, inner lives, but essentially um, this physical embodiment of, of their inner self is inescapable, including you know, via via aging. Here we have um, Schwarzenegger. Here we have Mickey O'Rourke. And here we have, um, oh, uh, she's the fashion designer whose name has just es- escaped me. But but here you can clearly see that um, society can create a very unforgiving place in terms of how people present themselves and how people want to. To, to age. And uh, really, uh, we've lost, I, I think, the connection that we had years and years ago, previous generations of unto thine own self be true uh, as, you, as you're working your way through, through aging. And then with the last slide, I just want to uh, p- uh, get you to, to have a look at this uh, Japanese tradition, this great J- Japanese tra- tradition. When the Japanese mend a broken object, they fill them in with gold. They believe that when someone's When something suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful. It's time to rethink perhaps our philosophy of ageing. So with that, I'll stop. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Framing Ageing. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingageing.ucd.ie.